0: Third major
1: storm
2: of the year to make landfall has destroyed thousands of homes and lives throughout the Caribbean. Everyone's been talking about storms. Sometimes storms make the news, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes life storms hit when the cameras aren't looking. For the child who needs a family. For the stranger in a strange land. The teenager who's trafficked. The family that goes without. The man who's caught in the path of disaster. There is hope. We are Send Relief. People have been talking about hurricanes. People have responded. But for people caught in all kinds of storms, the ones in the spotlight and the ones in the shadows, there is hope. Learn how you can help at sendrelief.org. Welcome to the Sin Relief Breakout. And uh, we as an organization uh, exist to try to see people engage with those who are caught in the storms of life. And so particularly at this conference, we know that when we are talking about people who have uh, come to this country, into our communities, into our neighborhoods as refugees, they are in the midst of a storm. And so what do the people of God do in uh, in response? And, And what does the gospel compel us to do, and so in this breakout, you're going to hear a bit about what we at Send Relief do to equip uh, people to engage in these kind of ways, and effective ways. You'll hear from two of my favorite people, the greatest people on the face of the earth, Lorna Bias and Trent DeLoach. And so uh, we're here to to engage in this conversation together. So let me pray, and we'll get started. Uh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to uh, hear about what you are doing. Uh, particularly in the community of uh, Clarkston, Georgia, and uh, through the Send Relief uh, team and the hub at Clarkston. Uh, We thank you for uh, Lorna and Trent and their leadership of that effort. We pray your blessings on all of our lives and our work uh, for your namesake. Christ's name, amen.
0: Thank you. That is Dr. Ryan West, and he is our teammate. Thankful for his leadership. Well, we're glad you came for this sin relief uh, time, and really just want to do a little bit of unpacking of what sin relief is, and then we're going to kind of dig into Clarkston, and that's when I'll hand it off to Trent. So, really, the big picture of sin relief. Our mission statement is: is that we equip churches to meet the needs of their communities for the sake of uh, sharing uh, the gospel and building into uh, relationships with them. So we're looking for opportunities to serve needs and share the gospel. Serve needs and share the gospel. That really is the heart of sin relief. And something we talk a lot about, and I know in this time that we've had this conference, is how do we make big issues small? Not small as in insignificant, but how do we make big issues that seems so big, how do we put our hands uh, to the plow, so to speak, how do we address those needs? And so really what Sin Relief wants to help do is help churches see how do we put our arms around the issues that are in our communities. And so one of the ways that we're doing that is in the multitude of so many needs that are across North America we are bringing a focus to what we like to say are five, five buckets or five areas of needs that we all see in our community. So let me just go through these real briefly with you. And uh, you should know that uh, on our website, sinrelief.org, Uh, There's lots more information on all of these, and and that's really where we're going to load a lot of resources for you. But let's just look at these really briefly. So the first bucket is just the general issue of poverty. So every community has types of poverty, and while we typically think primarily of uh, financial or physical poverty, we know that there are other types of poverty. There's educational poverty, uh, there's relational poverty, and ultimately, there's spiritual poverty, right? Every community, it doesn't matter if it's high rises or if it's in uh, rundown neighborhoods, there is poverty of all sorts. And so how can we help churches mobilize into poverty and address the needs that are in, in those, uh, those needs? The second one, the second area is refugees and internationals. Now I'm going to let Trent Deloach speak to that. Uh, We're going to spend a lot of time on that. But refugees and internationals are in every community. Every community. It's not just the big cities. A lot of times that's the uh the the misnomer right is that internationals and refugees are primarily in large mega cities but we know that they're in small pockets of communities all over our nation i lived in denver for four years and outside of denver in a very small remote isolated community a community of about twelve thousand people uh, there's nine hundred somalis that are in that community and so it doesn't matter how big or large your neighborhood is or your city. We know that they're there. And so uh, that's, of course, what we're spending this weekend. Uh, How can we engage with refugees and internationals? And then the third bucket is foster care and adoption. Uh, We want to really bring to spotlight. We want to really emphasize the needs of foster care and adoption. I think for uh, many people who are aware of this issue, we are really at a crisis point uh, in foster care care in our country. There are so many children that are having to be placed in foster care that I I just read a statistic the other day of one state that said they had hundred and fifty children in their foster care in their state uh, that were sleeping at uh, offices uh, of DFACs or, or other agencies because they simply had nowhere to place these children in homes. And so we're really seeing a crisis. And so one of the things that Send Relief is doing is providing simple steps and opportunities to take first steps in engaging the need with with children who are in foster care and adoption needs. And then a big issue that we all probably have heard about is human trafficking. So beyond the red X, what do we do? Do you know what I mean by the red X? Have you seen the red X? So the red X is great and it brings awareness, but what can we actually do to uh, to address the need of human trafficking? And again, this is not an issue that's just in large cities. This is in small communities and neighborhoods. It's not just uh, on street corners. It's actually in in suburban neighborhoods. And, uh, we just recently where I now live in Atlanta in Clarkston. We just had an issue where there was a, a bust and it was in a, just a kind of a, I guess a middle-class neighborhood community right there, uh, in the heart of Atlanta. And so human trafficking is all around us. And I would just say too, one of the things that we want to talk about through Sin Relief is really equipping churches to be a part of pre- preventative, work. A lot of people don't realize there are so many things that we can do as churches in communities, especially with schools, partnering with schools. How do we work preventatively, uh, not just rescuing from human trafficking, but how do we uh, help safeguard our children so that they will not be trafficked? And so that's something we want to call churches to consider. And then the last one is disaster relief. And uh, certainly in this season of our nation right now where we have a lot of disasters happening right now, hurricanes, um, uh, the fires in California, and then also the tragic shooting in Las Vegas, uh, we have disaster relief teams and volunteers who are being mobilized to serve all of those needs. And so that's another bucket that we're giving emphasis to, is how can churches address uh, needs in their community when it comes through various types of disasters? Um, and we are seeing those as never before right now. So really that's the heart of sin Relief is to come alongside of churches and help mobilize believers to meet needs and, and brokenness in our community. So we'd like to begin to focus on uh, Clarkston. And the reason why we're focusing on Clarkston is Clarkston is is the first place where we have what we call a sin Relief Hub. And the hubs are being uh, really created so that uh, believers can come to a place like Clarkston, as you're going to learn about in just a minute, and really get hands-on. I, I call it get into the laboratory and kind of get your hands-on uh, ministry opportunities and learn from leaders. And so the Send Relief Hubs will give believers and leaders opportunities uh, to come and, in a way, I guess, uh, shadow maybe be mentored, and learn ways to address needs in your own community. And like I said, Clarkston will be the first one that we'll be giving emphasis to. So since you can't uh, ride with me to Clarkston and we get back quick enough uh, to finish the rest of the day, uh, I'll just show you a quick video and uh, you can see a little bit about Clarkston. This is Lorna, and this is my neighborhood. My weird, eclectic, diverse, delicious neighborhood. (laughs) Clarkston, Georgia is like no place in the world, because Clarkston is the world. (laughs) Time Magazine calls this the most diverse square mile in the country. More than half of my neighbors are from another nation, and three-fourths speak a language other than English. Every person who comes here has a story to tell. Their stories are important because they are important. And that's why we've come to Clarkston, because those are the stories and those are the people who are turning my neighborhood and yours into a land of new opportunities.
1: Alright, how many people watching that video makes you want to visit Clarkston, alright? It really is a neat place. It's a place that I have the privilege of calling home. It's where I've lived for the past three years and um, let me introduce myself. My name is Trent DeLoach and I have the opportunity and really privilege to serve as the the director for the Sin Relief Hub in Clarkston. And so I want to unpack a little bit about what what that means, what that looks like, and how churches can be involved and uh, take advantage of some of the ways that we hope to be able to serve churches and mobilizing them to be involved serving the needs of refugees and other immigrants. Uh, Before I kind of dive into the Hub, let let me share a little bit about my background. um, Because, you know, there may be some people in here or watching online that may say, you know, where I was raised and in my background, I can never even imagine serving with refugees from every corner of the globe because it sounds like such a foreign concept. Well, if that was you, let me share a word of encouragement. That was also my story. I was raised on a farm in Southeast Georgia, literally in the middle of nowhere. In fact, you actually had to go to the middle of nowhere and drive 10 more miles, okay, to get to where I was raised and uh, never dreamed that I would be serving in the most ethically diverse square mile in our country. But this is how God with a sense of humor and his divine sovereignty kind of orchestrated life events in a way that were both surprising and really meaningful. We moved, my wife and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky And when uh, we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, we discovered there were 5,000 Bosnian refugees in Kentucky. Now, my wife had gone on three short-term mission trips to Bosnia, and so she just absolutely loved the people. And when we discovered 5,000 Bosnian refugees in Louisville, she literally drugged me to every Bosnian bakery, restaurant, uh, or grocery store, anywhere we thought we could find someone from Bosnia. She loved the people, I fell in love with the food, and that's ultimately how God kind of introduced me to this world of refugees. But let's be honest, at first, yeah, it really was very intimidating, uh, perhaps even a little bit scary. And, but God used the, the Bosnians and their story to really break our hearts for the nations. I'll never forget the evening where my wife and I, we are invited to attend one of the Eid celebrations that followed Ramadan. And we're in this community center, and there's literally 800 Bosnians, and it was a really festive environment, and being in this room, I looked around, and I noticed several things. One, we were the only Americans, or at least, you know, born in America, uh, Americans in the room, and then number two, we were the only people in this room that confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That night, my heart absolutely broke because I realized that the the Bosnians were just one of the ethnic groups that lived in our city that were predominantly Muslim, predominantly of another religion. And it it struck me while being in this room with 800 other people, uh, my wife and I being the only two believers, that it, it occurred to me that no matter how amazing our preaching was on Sunday morning, no matter how amazing our worship band could possibly be, no matter what we did, they were not gonna be beating down the doors of our church to get in. And literally, even in our own city, unless we went to them, they were never going to have the opportunity to develop a friendship with a believer that took the initiative to share the gospel with them. And that began our journey. How do, you, how do we be faithful, um, starting gospel conversations with people that God has brought to us from every corner of the globe? And so our Bosnian friends introduced us to Iraqis and Somalis, people from Nepal, uh, Burma. And for about the past 15 years, it's, it's been an absolute joy to serve among the nations. Now, just because it's been an absolute joy does not mean that it has been easy, in fact, it has been incredibly difficult. You know, we would share the gospel oftentimes for the very first time with individuals because we would ask, is this the first time someone has shared with you the stories of Jesus? And they would frequently say, yeah, this is, this is the first time. I remember asking my friend, Malam, Malam, do you have other Christian friends? And they're like, nope, you're the only one. So that's just a little bit of pressure, right? and there there's there's an element where we have seen god do some incredible things like we were able to start a church and our first two people that were baptized were iraqi muslim background believers and we celebrate that um we were able to see a number of our bhutanese nepali neighbors follow jesus and believers baptism but at the same time we've seen a lot of people hear the gospel but choose to reject the gospel but um I wouldn't trade anything for the experience to to sit down and be the first to share with the hopes that as God takes these seeds that ultimately we will see those that begin to pray and come to faith in Christ. And so our, our ministry in Louisville was spent really trying to connect the church with the international community. We would often say our dream was to have every Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist have a Christian friend that could point them toward Christ. And then, um, by God's grace, he allowed us to relocate to Clarkston, Georgia, a little bit closer to where I was raised, and really carry that same passion and that same DNA. Um, I serve as the lead pastor now at Clarkston International Bible Church. So if you can imagine Clarkston, the video we just saw, and this fairly small to medium-sized Southern Baptist church in the heart of this community that is just surrounded by the nations, Uh, That's where I have the privilege of serving and leading a a faithful congregation that saw their community go from predominantly Anglo to incredibly diverse, had to make some hard decisions to change and adapt to their changing demographics And what that involved for Clarkston International Bible Church was to merge with an Asian church of mostly Filipinos and a French-speaking African church and to bring these three churches together to create Clarkston International Bible Church. And then to this day, we're still one-third Asian, one-third African, and one-third American, and a beautiful display of multiple nationalities coming together to worship our same Savior. And we've been able to, as a somewhat small, faithful group of people uh, over a long period of time, serve our community. And oftentimes using mercy and compassion ministries to serve, uh, using English as a second language as an opportunity to build a relationship that leads to gospel conversations. We've been able to do a lot with after-school tutoring and, uh, and then also just kind of job creation and helping refugees find livable wage jobs. And so there's been, Clarkson's been a neat place to, to live life uh, with gospel intentionality uh, among the nations. And then now it's our privilege uh, as a church to partner with Sin Relief and have Sin Relief come in to, again, what Time Magazine calls the most ethically diverse square mile in our country. Uh, to, to further paint a little bit of picture of what that means, About every year, somewhere between 1500 to 2000 refugees start life all over in the little town that we call Clarkston. Uh, Clarkston's only a little over one square mile. We're a fairly small, consolidated city. We are in Atlanta, we're in the shadow of Stone Mountain. And so right off of 285 in 20 minutes, you can be in downtown. And uh, so Clarkston's a fairly small place with between 1500 to 2000 refugees resettled into this area every single year. And when we just kind of poll our friends that are doing really good work among the nations, who are you crossing paths with? We come up with a list of people that come from over 120 different ethnic groups. Um, we've developed a list that has um, 90 plus different representatives from unreached people groups that we cross paths with in our community. And we know there's over hundred languages spoken. And so it's a, it's a really unique place. But it's becoming less unique because the dynamics that we are up against in Clarkston are increasingly becoming the reality for other churches and other areas as really diversity continues to skyrocket across our nation. And so I want to just dream with you okay, and describe what we're wanting to see take place at the Sin Relief Hub in Clarkston and so there's really just a couple things that we want to do and we want to do them really, really well. And you could kind of understand the hub by our desire to equip churches, but then and, and engage our community. And you could kind of re- repackage that. We are trying to uh, equip the church by being a place that models ministry. You know, if you happen to be in a church that the demographics are shifting and you're curious, what in the world should we do? How do we respond to this? We want to be a place where people can come and they can see what being a faithful church looks like in an increasingly diverse area where you can see ministry being modeled. That doesn't mean we're experts. It doesn't mean that we're doing everything right. I feel like in Clarkston, we're like the chief learners and we're constantly wrestling with how to be even more faithful with the gospel and how to be more accommodating for increasing numbers of incoming refugees and internationals. And so you basically have the opportunity to come and learn with us as we seek to continue to be faithful. And we want it to be a place where again, ministry can be modeled And then we wanna see ministry multiplied. This is the uh, equipping the church. And so if a church wants to start an ESL ministry, we wanna be a place where they can come and see ESL in motion. If they wanna start after school programs, we wanna be a place where you can come and see, this is what an after school program with a really diverse population looks like so that you can take back the principles and apply them in your context. So that's the engaging the community and then also equipping the church. So I wanna kinda dig a little bit deeper And um, talk about the engaging the community piece and the four areas that we're going to focus on when it comes to um, engaging the community. So, the first primary area that we want to emphasize is this uh, really coming alongside ethnic churches. Um, If you were to ask me, who are the heroes in Clarkston doing the best work and honestly seeing the most fruit for the kingdom of God? Our ethnic church planters, they are. Personally, my my heroes, they are doing incredible work, and one of the ways that our church has been able to come alongside them is by providing space. So, even though we do have a fairly small to medium sized Southern Baptist church in, in in Clarkston, God's blessed us with a decent sized facility, and we've been very generous sharing that facility. So now there's a total of nine churches that worship on our property. Uh, What I enjoy telling people is any given weekend, you can hear Jesus Christ worshiped in six or seven different languages, and it's around 1,500 people from about 30 different countries worshiping God on our property any given weekend. Uh, What that looks like in a little bit more tangible ways, we do have two Nepali congregations. We have uh, two Congolese congregations, slightly different in the way they approach uh, life and ministry. We have a Pakistani uh, congregation, a Sudanese congregation, and twice a year, we all come together. And so in our joint worship service, again, what we tell people is we, we want our joint worship services when all these churches come together to be a little bit of a, a taste of heaven, you know? And we often tell people, if you don't like uh, Clarkston, you're not gonna like heaven, all right? Because it, it, it really is beautiful to see all the diversity coming together to worship our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, And so we want to be able to model for other churches some of the best practices on how do you share space? How can you take established churches and partner well with ethnic churches to uh, serve our community together? Uh, One of the ways that that looks like in Clarkston as well is what we do with our youth. Um, If you came to CIBC on a Sunday at 1 p.m., you would see our youth Bible study. Our youth Bible study is done in partnership with the Sudanese church that we share space with. And so it's our youth plus their youth. And it's basically a joint effort to disciple the next generation. And we're looking to expand that. And how do we integrate some of our children's ministry and some of our community outreach? We would love more churches all throughout our country to really embrace the opportunity they have to find creative ways to partner with ethnic churches in sharing space and doing joint ministry activities and ultimately making disciples of all the nations God is bringing to us, but to do that together. So the other thing we want to do is continue to expand our English as a second language. You know, the, the number one, I guess, felt need for incoming refugees is to learn English. And we want to find increasing ways to provide environments where they can learn English but more than that, develop friendships, and we envision having campus-based ministries where we're teaching English, which is kind of what we already do, and we want to expand uh, in-home tutoring, where, and we're doing some of that as well, where we're going into homes, and once we're in, in homes, we're looking to teach English to truly serve the families, but if God opens up the opportunity to start Bible studies, we celebrate that as well. And uh, English as a second language is just a tremendous ministry tool to build relationships, to truly help people, but then also to look for intentional opportunities to have gospel conversations. Uh, We want to continue to lean heavy into this economic development piece. Um, So refugees, when they first come into our country, uh, they actually have to take the first job that the relocation agency gives them. And oftentimes it's a factory job, fairly low wage, but they've they've got to get working as fast as possible so they can basically become self-sufficient and sometimes refugees are coming in with skills and education and background. And so we partner with a ministry, their refugee career hub, where we try to figure out what it, what's the education, the gifts, the skills, and the abilities of our international neighbors, and how can we strategically take them from that entry-level job that they got when they first got here, move them into a livable wage job that will just have incredible economic impact for their family for generations to come. But just, it, it's simple things as well with economic development. For instance, you know, I don't want to talk in too broad of stereotypes, but when we work with some of our Asian and our African uh, neighbors, we have to tell them, if you get a job and they expect you to clock in at nine o'clock, guess what? They expect you to clock in at 9 o'clock, <laughs> you know, not 9.05, not 9.10, not 9.30. And so a lot of it's just basic life skills as well um, to just help them be able to flourish and excel in our country. So that's kind of some of the economic development, getting them into livable wage jobs and areas where they have the opportunity to really excel. And then the emerging generation. So the way that we want to engage our community with the emerging generation is simply this. You know, statistics indicate that 80% of people come to faith in Christ when they're 18 years or younger. And so, you know, one of the things that you will notice in Clarkston is we have children everywhere. All right, if you've been overseas on a foreign trip, you know how like all the kids come from everywhere and they they run and they swarm, and you have just amazing time interacting with children. Well, those dynamics play out in our community as well. And when we see the children and all the different nationalities that they represent, we see just an incredible opportunity to love and show them the the love of Jesus. And so what that looks like for us is uh, after-school programs where we provide tutoring. Uh, you may or may not know that refugees are placed into their grade based off of their age, not their academic ability. And so you know, many of them, if they've missed a year or two of school, they're in desperate need of tutoring. And so the after-school is a great way to provide that. But then we also do sports and rec with soccer and basketball, providing safe, constructive activities for them that also have opportunities to build relationships and share the gospel. And then we use uh, music and art to also um, press into that younger generation. So those are some of the ways we engage the community and some of the things that we hope to model for other uh, people and places. So the next piece is the equipping the church. So we envision the Sin Relief Hub hosting uh, Sin Relief Labs. And so, you know, one, maybe two-day events where you can come in and, and get the nuts and bolts Biblical Basis for Mercy and Compassion. But, and the nuts and bolts of how to run some of the different types of outreaches and ministries. And these are just going to be learning environments where there's some classroom time, but then there's also the ability to walk down the hall and actually see the ministry happening. And so we want it to be an interactive and immersive experience as well. Uh, just equipping people with the basic, this is how... We do this, and this is why we do it. Um, we will be offering internships. This Jensen interns uh, are predominantly college students, you know, young adults, but uh, we want there to be easy on-ramps for people to come, spend a week, a uh, summer, a whole year uh, just being immersed into Clarkston and learning how to love and serve in a diverse community. And so there's going to be some, you know, pretty easy on-ramps to do that through Jensen, which you can learn more about that on Centerlease website. And then the ministry opportunities, there will be opportunities, especially for those that live in closer proximity to, hub, to the hub, to come and serve and volunteer and be a part of the um, life of the ministry there. For people that live outside of Clarkston, there's going to be opportunities to, to come and spend a week and have almost like a, a mission trip experience, but in Clarkston where you get some of the teaching and training, but then also the opportunity to be actively involved in the ministries that take place. Um, these mission trips are something that um, as soon as the hub launches right now we're going through some renovation and construction Uh, we will kind of announce through social media that we are ready to uh, accommodate teams that want to come to Clarkston Um, for the next few months though right now we're just doing vision trips with smaller groups of people that can come and see and when the hub officially launches um, we'll be able to accommodate larger teams that want to come and see so that's the equipping church piece and so what we pray is that the hub, the Sin Relief Hub in Clarkston uh, will be utilized by churches to, to get involved. And it kind of begs the question, why? Why should we even consider stepping in this direction, learning how to do life and ministry in a diverse area? We want to show a video that answers the question of why. And um, I want to invite you to watch this video and see if you can discern some of the primary reasons why this is a type of ministry that we have to step toward. And uh, I'll come back up after this video rolls and um, open us up for some question and answer time.
3: I was eight years old when I came to the United States. And when I finally found out that I was a refugee, I hated someone to say, oh, those refugees. I have a name. My name is Fatmata. fat Fatma ta We came as refugees and were part of the UN uh, program. I come from a Muslim background, so um, but I used to always say, I'm gonna be a Christian one day. And here I am. I came here every day since the second grade, I've been part of here to help with homework. It's taught me English. Started doing violin lessons here. You know, like 10 years later, still playing the violin. Man, I cannot tell my life story without including this here. I have to, I have
1: to. You
2: gotta study, because you're
1: gonna make these grades. You're gonna do well.
3: They started having Bible studies on Wednesdays and I started reading it. And I finally decided this is why I am. I am a second year um, student at Georgia State. Woohoo! Go Panthers! <laughs> I'm a full-time church member. And I am just like you, you know what I mean? I I am somebody. That's,
1: that's what I want people to think. It's a great video, right? The title of this video is I Have a Name. Do you remember her name? Fatmata. So, Fatmata's story is a beautiful illustration of why we want there to be a send relief hub in Clarkston and why we want more churches to get involved in this type of ministry. Uh, Fatmata's story, as she shared with us, you know, she came as a refugee, but did she like the title of refugee? No. You know? And she didn't want to be judged in just generalities and stereotypes of what people think a refugee is, because she was so much more than that. She had a name, she had a story, she's a person, a person created in the image of God, deeply loved by our Creator. And, you know, when she came to our country, she found a place where the the entry point at first was just music and then academics. But in this place, there were also Bible studies. And an, an intentional plan to pr- introduce people to the gospel. And, you know, I've been doing work with Muslims for a long time. Sometimes you think, man, there, there, there's no hope. Then all of a sudden you see God already working in someone's life. And then when we, we provide the, the right place and the, the environment, all of a sudden she's like, I have always knew that one day I'll become a Christian. Now here I am. So this is, this is kind of what motivates me. And answers this question of why, why should we step in this direction? How many more people like Fop Mata do you think are out there? How many more young girls, young boys, teenagers, young adults, senior citizens are out there just like her that are just waiting for the opportunity to be able to study scripture, have questions answered so that they can have the opportunity to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I get really excited when I start thinking about, you know, the, the, the sin relief hub, because I think we're going to be able to see more stories like this play out more frequently, not just in Clarkston, but by God's grace throughout our whole country, as churches embrace the opportunity to, to welcome the nations that are coming to us and to build relationships that lead opportunities to meet practical, physical, emotional, physical needs for the purpose of starting gospel conversations and allowing God to take it from there. But Fatmata's story gets at the why behind the Cinderleaf Hub. And it's something that we would covet your prayers as uh, the Cinderleaf Hub is very much in early stages of development. Um, We would welcome any of your questions and input as well. We would love to know, especially if you're at a church that has an interest in starting these types of ministries, how could we help? What are some of the resources and tools that we could create in Clarkston based off of our experience of literally decades of ministry that would be helpful to other churches? And then what would it look like to create partnerships where you could bring people that perhaps... This would be their first exposure to cross-cultural missions. And this would be their, if you will, first step in the direction of ministering among people not like them. Man, how could we help really just kind of create that excitement for cross-cultural missions in your church? Um, There's some exciting opportunities that lie ahead. And we want to work with the church and through the church to see God do amazing things through the nations. And that really is the heartbeat of the Sin Relief Hub in Clarkston. So I do wanna provide a little bit of time and space to see if you have any questions um, or even ideas we can throw out, but yeah. What kind of timeline are you looking at for getting the hub, hub and running? And sure. Ready to take it? So here, here's, here's the funny thing with the hub we currently we house nine different churches and 13 different ministries are already operating out of the hub and so the construction and renovation is going to be happening around all of this activity that's been going on for a number of years and we are going to try to to renovate everything with as little disruption to our current ministry as possible and we thought we were going to be able to renovate the buildings <laughs> until cracks in the foundation were discovered that according to the architects, were just way too difficult to fix. So renovations are gonna involve some demo and rebuild. And so we're gonna do it in phases. And we think that uh, 12 to 18 months from now, we'll have at least the first couple phases complete where we can start welcoming teams. Uh, We will not be able to welcome teams this spring. And uh, even this summer is gonna get really tricky. But we hope in um, 2019 to be able to have a grand opening for the hub to be able to accommodate larger groups. Um, But again, that's just for groups that, you know, once you start getting 20, 25, 30 people, um, that gets difficult to host in a construction zone. Uh, For churches that want to know more, learn more, and are willing to bring smaller groups, we can accommodate those smaller groups. Um, So think 2019 for big teams. Um, reach out to us. You can contact us through the cinderleaf.org website, or I can give you one of our cards if you're interested in bringing a, a smaller team, almost like a vision trip, uh, to see what the ministry looks like and what it will look like in the future. Great question. Any other questions? All right. I have a question for you then. All right, if you don't ask questions, I'll ask questions. From your knowledge of the churches where you serve, do you see where something like a a ministry center where you can come and observe and see ministry being modeled, do you see where that could be helpful and a, a good place to send people as a first step opportunity? We can kind of do a show of hands or nod of heads. All right, that's that's good affirmation that Sin Relief is going in a positive direction, providing a tool that we pray will be incredibly helpful to see increasingly more churches ministering in mercy and compassion among refugees and internationals. Um, so please check out the website, sinrelief.org, and um, feel free to come up and continue to ask us questions. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know what I would pray for, and kind of Brian Wright uh, alluded to this earlier, you know, there is a lot of ministry, a lot of activity, a lot of good things happening. We pray for gospel fruit. We want to see the gospel transform lives. We want to see more people come into the kingdom. Um, And if you could pray, you know, for for wisdom to that end, but then also patience, you know. um, One of the things that I do on a routine basis is read the autobiographies of missionaries who were the first in, you know, to some of their countries and how long and how hard they labored. And sometimes working with refugees, uh, first-generation immigrants, it feels like that at times. Um, But if you could pray that God would continue to give us wisdom and we really do wanna see the gospel transform lives. We don't wanna just be busy. Another area related to that point, or again, we just need wisdom, is we are very passionate for the gospel and very passionate about Jesus, but we, we, we increasingly serve in a culture that views that as a negative thing, and it's almost kind of like we're taking advantage of refugees when you introduce them to Jesus, and that what we call sharing the love and message of Jesus Christ, they call proselytizing in a very negative sense, And so we navigate this uh, increasingly complex world of being about the gospel and being unashamed, but having to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, serving with some organizations where you just have to be very careful, you know, with how you posture yourself, almost kind of like a missionary in a a secure country on a secure platform has to operate. So just pray for wisdom as we navigate some of those conversations as well. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And Sin Relief, I mean, this was, um, everything's kind of fairly new um, as we begin to dream and pray and push forward. So uh, pray for David Melber. He's president of Sin Relief. And um, pray for the team that is being assembled. And again, Sin Relief is will be known, kind of our, our, our most obvious ministry that gets the most attention is Disaster Relief, and that is good. Um, But, you know, pray as the other areas of ministry come into focus as well with foster and adoption and poverty and refugee international and human trafficking. I mean, there's just unprecedented opportunities um, for churches to be involved in mercy and compassion ministry that have direct connections to church planting, church revitalization, and ultimately, you know, churches uh, reaching their immediate neighborhoods. And that's that's the movement and the conversation that we want to be a part of. All right. Any other questions? All right. Well, let's pray. And then uh, I'll I'll be up here. Ryan will be up here as well and Lorna. And um, again, we would love to start the conversation on how we could work together um, toward this end. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are a God of mercy and compassion. We know that... We we desire to live out these rhythms because you have modeled them, and you are, by the very very nature, the definition uh, what what mercy and compassion looks like. And God, we just want to ask your blessings on Send Relief and Send Relief's efforts to continue to show mercy and compassion through local churches all throughout uh, the nation. And we want to see a movement of Mercy and Compassion Ministries being used of you to impact lostness throughout North America. So we just ask that you would help everyone in this room know what their next step is to love those that you have placed before us, especially those that are the stranger and the foreigner. You're a good God. Such a privilege to call you Father. And uh, we pray that you would continue to bless the remainder of this conference. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.